Hello. We are so glad that you could join us today. Our prayer is that as you listen to the word, you would take this time to draw nearer to God as an individual and as a family. God loves you so so much, and his desire is for you to get closer to him in this season through worship, through dwelling in his word and prayer. Well, I want to welcome you back and uh, you know, I just love the praise and the worship that we have in our church. Praise has always been an integral part. God has given us a message in the praise and worship itself. We sing the praises that come up out of the trials, the tribulations, the things we've experienced right here in our church. Most of the songs that you hear are songs that have been written by people in our church, by my wife in particular, uh, by my children, by many of the very, very talented praise and worshipers that are in the church. And I believe that we'll see more and more of this as the day approaches. With that said, I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about the power of a praising heart. But before I do that, I want to address an issue that keeps rising in our country, and that's over the issue of vaccines. And, you know, this has become a very contentious issue. It was just recently, in fact, this week in the press, where Pastors are being chided. We're being told not to speak on this issue. Well, there is a moral issue here. And the moral issue lies around the lack of clarity among the so-called experts and the lack of transparency of governments and the lack of transparency regarding the actual uh, ingredients and things inside of vaccines. And there would be no debate if there were transparency. There would be no debate if this was a drug or a, a vaccine that had been tested and tried. And, but this is being rolled out at neck-break speed. And there are many questions. And we're supposed to just stand by and just accept some expert who, quite frankly, the experts have changed their minds so many times on so many issues that it's very hard to trust them anymore. And the fact that this vaccine has become politicized to the point that it's being in many quarters, including the World Economic Forum, used as the basis for a whole shift in global economies, global scales. And so I don't think it's wrong for us to be suspicious, nor do I think it's wrong for us to debate the issue. And we shouldn't have knee-jerk reactions from either side. There are many, many medical professionals that are questioning the vaccine, questioning some of the uh, attributes. And even the CDC itself cannot come out clearly and describe what the benefit of taking the vaccine is. I mean, uh, some of the things that we're hearing is that you take the vaccine, but you still have to wear a mask. It doesn't guarantee that you're gonna be actually uh, immune. We're not even sure if it can take care of the immunity of the next wave or the next wave or the next uh, mal, uh, what is it, uh, the next um, mutation, the next mutation. We're, we're, we're in a constant flux, but we're supposed to just, hey, let you put something into us that we may not necessarily even fully understand. I don't believe that's right. I don't believe it's wrong for me to Resist. I don't think it's wrong for me to get more information. I am constantly studying. And at this time, I trust some of the other cures. 
Ivermectin seems to be working. There are other ways to treat this. And the headlong rush to vaccinate billions of people around the world for a disease where 99% of the people recover. There's something that doesn't gel with me personally. And I don't think it's wrong for us to have mature debate, to question. In fact, I think it's wrong for us to just have this impressed upon us and we just go headlong into it without the debate. So I want to encourage those of you that listen to my voice to don't be afraid. Don't be bullied into taking a vaccine. Do your research. Be prayerful. Study. Study your options. But then don't allow any man to violate your conscience. Don't allow anyone to force you. I mean, when we're being coerced that you will not be able to ride on a bus, you'll not be able to have a job if you don't take it, that is extortion. That is not any way to lead a nation. That is no way to lead in this vaccine. So I'm just saying, I think that when you have that kind of pressure placed on, and then the guilt trip that somehow by me not taking the vaccine, I'm endangering the lives of others. Well, we don't know that we're not endangering our own lives by taking the vaccine. So let's slow down. Let's study this. I'm sure we're going to begin to see some of the tests that are coming out after the vaccine, because it is a test. Every vaccine maker, every person says that, hey, they don't know what the long-term effect of this is. We, we're not sure. And what scares me even more is the fact that there is no repercussion once you put this in your body. The vaccine companies have been exonerated. They do not have to be responsible for what happens to me or to you. Our governments are not taking responsibility. There's no recourse once you put this in your body. I don't know. Those don't augur well for me. Those are not the kind of things that I think we should be necessarily just running headlong into something where nobody takes responsibility. It's not been tried or proven. Can we question this? Can we have an honest debate? Can we listen to both sides? Right now, we only hear the one side, the vaccine side. But there are many, many professionals and many, many doctors, more and more all the time, that have serious data, serious questions, serious research. And I think that it's wise that we listen to both sides before we make such an important decision in our lives. Now, with that said, you know, we are in the throes of something we've never seen before. We are experiencing unprecedented times. In fact, the Bible declares these times as being perilous times or the end of times, end times. In fact, in Daniel, the seventh chapter, the 25th verse, the Bible says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and a times and the dividing of time. What the Word of God is describing is that these are the times that are challenging times for believers. It's a season where there's an antichrist spirit, and that spirit is putting pressure on saints to wear them out. It's a time of intense pressure, intense uh, Intensity around issues, around changing of laws, changing of statutes, changing of, 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 of things that were 
wants common sense. And because of uh, these pressures, many people begin to focus on themselves. They begin to focus on their situations. They focus on others as the cause of their troubles. And what this does is leads to further isolation and rejection. How many of you know that when you blame someone for your problems, that person or that group of people usually don't hang around to receive your criticism? The words that are causing the great pressure on the saints are words that are contrary to the Word of God. The Bible speaks of a day when people would call evil good and call good evil. And we have seen that much of what is transpiring in our world is moving in that direction. Governments becoming more autocratic and more totalitarian. Churches being infiltrated and moving away from traditional values and even from the scriptures. Families being torn apart in the wake of a me first, I must be happy, I don't want any hard times kind of attitude. Self-centeredness that has little to do with the love that it takes to build true relationships and raise children to a place of maturity. When we, when we look at the family and the price tag there is on being married and staying married, it seems as if we touch on a very sore point in many people's lives and in our marriages. There's been much pressure on families and in particular marriages during the so-called COVID crisis. This morning I want to take a look at relationships. All relationships in general, but through the eyes of marriage in particular. Now, whether you're married or not, I believe that these truths that you, that I'm going to teach this morning, you can glean something. You can glean something from this morning's message. I think it's understood that we cannot get through this season in life or life itself without getting hurt. Pain and disappointment in this world are inevitable. But it's how we handle our setbacks and our disappointments is what shapes our future, especially in the area of our character. Our attitudes are fundamental in determining the degree to which we are to live in freedom and free from strife. Now, regardless of the hardships we've faced and in spite of the mistakes that we've made and in, uh, uh, and in the end of our lives, we can either be full of praise and thanksgiving or we can live a life filled with misery and complaint. I heard somebody say this, that our lives will be either as rich as the desire we have and have fulfilled, the desires we have and those that we've fulfilled, or as painful as the things that we regret. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Let me say it again. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Deep disappointments in life have a way of never leaving us. They enter into our lives, they touch our character like fire, then they can harden our hearts like cooling lava. Setbacks can leave us cautious about launching out into new ventures or keep us suspicious of new relationships or, or even new friendships. How often because of past hurts are you unwilling to risk hurt again or launching out on an adventure or an opportunity? In your marriage, when did you stop really trying to communicate? And have ended up either turning away from or turning against your spouse? Are you finding the deadly traits of being condescending, critical, defensive, or stonewalling entering into your relationship? See, all four of these traits will cause your marriage to fail if you leave them unchecked. We have to make a commitment in marriage to never turn against each other, 
never turn away from each other, but always to find a way to turn towards each other. Now, this doesn't happen all the time. I understand that. I understand that under pressure, we sometimes become critical. In my own marriage, I would receive criticism and I would become condescending. I would take the stance of, hey, you know, you can't talk to me like that. Sometimes my wife would even be a little condescending towards me. I would get defensive, defensive, or I would stonewall. These are not going to augur well. Our marriage suffered because of that. As we've learned to turn towards each other, as we've learned to talk to each other, uh, we're doing so much better. We continue to grow here after 40 years of marriage. We're still growing in our marriage. I think it's important that you understand that there has to be something else in your marriage, something else in your life besides just the change of heart that you force upon yourself or, you, or these decisions you make. And I'm going to talk about that today. You see, when we get wounded, it restricts our openness. We become fearful about being hurt again. So we don't risk. We don't risk building new relationships. Gradually, unless we learn to handle heartache correctly, we become embittered. We have resentfulness. In fact, many who have been hurt have grown cynical. The Bible says that because the days would be evil, perilous, the love of most would grow cold. There are many who have lost the joy of being alive. This is something that we must address because God gave us this life to enjoy and thrive in. 2 Peter 1.3 says, According to His divine power, or as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, He has called us to glory and virtue. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 1 Timothy 6.17, the Bible says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So, this morning I want to talk to you about the source of fulfillment. You see, to the degree that our own desires are actuated and fulfilled produces either joy or sorrow in our lives. Even basic desires for marriage or for friends or friendship can enslave us if they consume our attention. Now, are these desires evil? Well, is it wrong to want friends? Is it wrong to want a spouse? Is it wrong to have strong desires in life? No, no. But if having our desires fulfilled is the main reason that we've come to Christ, it is possible that our lives will not improve until our priorities change. See, God wants to fulfill our desires, but He also wants to have our whole heart. God did not create us in order to fulfill our own desires. We were created to worship Him, the one who the Bible calls the desire of all things. My wife uh, is amazing. She has a ministry in praise and worship. And uh, her key verse, the verse that has uh, uh, marked her life is Isaiah 4, 3, 2, 1. Isaiah 43, 21. The people that I have formed for myself shall declare my praise. Boy, let me tell you something. The reason you and I were created was to, first of all, bring praise and honor and worship to God. If we get that right, everything else will come together. So God wants us to seek Him, the desire of all things. See, God must be our highest desire. Or what happens is our personal ambitions or our individual fulfillment can actually become an idol. 
Now, there seems to be some people that have made an idol out of being happy. We must understand that our happiness can't come before our love for God. Our priorities must be in the right order. Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 33 and 34. He said, but seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. God will satisfy us beyond our dreams, but not before He is first in our lives, first in our hearts. I want to look at a passage of Scripture this morning in the Old Testament, and I think it can help us understand this idea. In the book of Genesis, we read the story of Jacob and how he served his father-in-law, Laban, for seven years in order to marry Rachel. And then an additional seven years after being tricked by his father-in-law, Laban. I think we get our word labola from that. A lot of trickery. Uh, when, uh, so here we see that Jacob's first wife, Leah, was unattractive to him and thus became unwanted and unloved. Jacob had served Laban, Leah's father, for seven years in order to marry Leah's sister, Rachel. But on the wedding night, Laban put Leah into the nuptial tent and tricked Jacob. Now, although Jacob married Rachel a week later in return for another seven years of work, he was now married to two wives who were sisters. Now, I don't know, one wife's enough for me, but two wives that are sisters could be a challenge. So I want to draw our attention to Genesis 29, 31, which says, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, well, that's a powerful passage of Scripture. You see, because Jacob was tricked into marrying Leah, and because she was not beautiful, the beautiful Rachel, whom he had worked seven years, the Bible says he hated Leah. But I also want you to see what the Lord saw, that the Lord saw this. The Lord saw that Leah was unloved. He saw her pain, he saw her loneliness, he saw her heartache. Although Leah was unloved by Jacob, she was deeply loved by the Lord. And the Bible says that the Lord opened her womb and gave her a son. Now, Leah was overjoyed, and her response is seen in verse 32 where it says, uh, and it, it kind of indicates her frame of mind. It says, surely now my husband will love me. You know, worse than living your life alone is being married to someone who hates you. I can only imagine how Leah longed for just some of the love that Jacob showed to Rachel. She had given him a firstborn son. And I'm sure she had faith that if God could open her womb, he could also open her husband's heart. Yet, Jacob still didn't love her. We read that Leah gave birth to two more sons, and each time she thought that it would be the thing that would turn her husband to love her. Genesis 29, verse 34 says, Now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Oh, can you hear the cry of this woman's heart? She just wants her husband to notice her, to love her, to take care of her. But again, Jacob's heart did not desire her. This is a lesson that I think all of us can learn in the life of Leah. And I think some of us need to learn this very carefully. You cannot make another person love you. You know, I can tell you many stories of people who have told me that God has shown them who they're to be married to. <laughs> I always tell them this, unless God shows them, there's a chance this will not happen. In fact, there was a time when I was single, and uh, there were a number of women that would come to me, and they told me that God told them. Boy, I'll tell you what, that was like a red flag to a bull. 
as soon as they would say that, I would run the other way. And I would always tell them this. I'd say, well, when God tells me, then we'll know. Uh, be careful. Be careful. You can't make somebody love you. The fact is, the more pressure that you place on others to love you, the more likely they are to reject you. See, Leah saw her fulfillment in life as directly related to whether Jacob loved her or not. But she was in a downward spiral. Because not only was she unattractive to Jacob, but because of the situation she found herself in, her jealousies of Rachel and her jealousies of the love that he had for Rachel were causing her to be less and less lovable. In fact, three times the Bible says that the Lord saw and heard that Leah was unloved. Now, while Leah is doing all she can to woo Jacob to herself, the Lord, on the other hand, is working at wooing Leah to himself. The Bible says that Leah became pregnant a fourth time, but this time there was something different. Something different happened to her. She realized that she was unloved by her husband and was not the focus of his attention or his love. But as the time came near for her fourth child to give birth, the Bible clearly describes that Leah drew nearer and nearer to God. In fact, the Bible says she became a worshiper. Genesis 29, 35 says, This time I will praise the Lord, she said. That was her comment. I will praise the Lord. And then she names the child Judah, which means praise. I think it's significant that it was from the tribe of Judah that eventually our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would be born. It's amazing where and how both we and Leah seek for self-fulfillment in all the wrong places, often to only find heartaches and pain. You see, when Leah became a worshiper of God, something amazing happened in her life. She began to live a life of fulfillment. In fact, she began to praise God. This is the only way that as human beings we can begin to truly change. It is when we find our fulfillment in God. This is when God began to remove Leah's jealousies, her insecurities, her heartaches, things she had been maybe even wrongfully suffering from Laban, her father, or Jacob's treatment of her. Many people have suffered and, uh, at the lack of the skill of their parents or the lack of love from them, from those that should have known how to love them and didn't. We have a whole course in our church and a series of teachings around this. And I recommend that if you haven't, you should get online. Right now we're doing the walking free class. And uh, I think that would help many of you to deal with some of the things that are in your past. We also have a series of teachings called Breaking the Bonds of Iniquities. I taught 32 classes on what it means to break off some of these things that bind us and keep us focused on our own pain, our own selfishness, our own sorrow, instead of being able to be released and focus on God come to fulfillment and come to healing. You see, only when we are able to worship God in spite of the things in our past or the hurts and the wounds caused by others will we begin to truly be free. Now, we see that something happened to Leah. And although her outward beauty didn't change, there was now an inner beauty that started growing in Leah. The Bible says that she entered into rest. She became a woman at rest. Now, how does this relate to you and I in our current distress? You see, pressure on our lives often reveals what's really in us. We all have character defects that we are reluctant to face. 
It is these flaws that may or may not be known to ourselves and may often be seen by others who they may lack the courage to tell us, but it's what leaves us anxious. It leaves us worried, threatened, and often unfulfilled. If we really want to overcome, we must, like Leah, uh, discover God's love for us. As we begin to praise Him in all things, we begin to unlock our healing. As we put on the garment of praise, we simultaneously put on the garment of His salvation. See, God begins to move on our behalf to save us from what could have destroyed us if left unchecked. Disappointments and heartaches begin to fall away from the worshiper of God. Romans 8 says it this way, verse 28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. What this means is that if we continue to love God with our whole heart, mind, will, emotions, strength, nothing we experience or nothing that comes into our lives will in the end turn out to harm us. You know, earlier in my message, I quoted half of the verse, Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I'm sure that most of you and myself know this verse. Uh, you may have used this verse to describe your life or you may have spoken it to designate various times or seasons or situations that you may have gone through or are going through. Maybe there's someone who has used this to describe their marriage or their work situation or the state of our nation. But do you know how it concludes? Do you know what the second half of the verse says? It says, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. You see, as our desire is fulfilled, as our desires are fulfilled, we become fulfilled. And we find the secret of desires being fulfilled in the Psalms. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, He doesn't give us our heart's desires, but He gives us the desires of our heart. You see, when we begin to seek Him, our desires actually are changed into those desires that bring us fulfillment. God puts the desire in your heart. This is the positive effect of grief and heartache and disappointments falling off of our lives. The love of God begins to enter into our hearts. We begin to find fulfillment. And our souls are restored. Our souls are beautified. As we delight ourselves in Christ, our destructive tendencies will begin to wash away out of our lives. They begin to vanish. What actually happened to Leah? Let me kind of conclude here. Well, like all of our lives, life, of course, went on, and the years went by. They came and went. Leah had more children. Even Rachel's womb was open, and she gave birth to two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And in time, both Rachel and Leah died. Then Jacob, on his deathbed, spoke to his sons. Listen to what he said. Genesis 49, 29-31, he says, And he charged them, and he said to them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac, Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. I think those of us here in Africa can probably understand this more than anybody. Jacob had buried Leah 
in the ancestral place of honor. Those few words say so much. They tell us that God had beautified Leah. Although she'd been afflicted, she found fulfillment in the beauty of salvation that only God could give her. She found fulfillment in Jacob. Over the years, the turmoil, the troubles gave way to inner peace and spiritual beauty. Jacob and Leah's hearts were eventually knit together in love. When Leah died, I can imagine that she was surrounded by her sons and left smiling with the praises of God on her lips. She had become a worshiper of God. Psalm 42, verse 11 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Well, can you, can you hear the cry out of the psalmist there? He says, listen, when you're downcast, when things are going against you, he says, lift up your praises. Lift up your praises. Why? Because in lifting up your praises, it changes your countenance. It changes everything. Psalm 50 and verse 23 says, Whoso offers praise glorifies me, and to him that orders his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. There it is again. As we praise him, God does something. He begins to order our conversation right. Things change. We stop talking so badly about ourselves. We stop talking so badly about our situation. Our conversation begins to change into, hey, with God, all things are possible. And we begin to glorify God. And he says he beautifies us with salvation. He, they that order their conversation right, right will see the salvation of God. Finally, Psalm 142, verse 7 says, Bring my soul out of prison, that I might praise your name. The righteous shall company about me, or compass about me, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Can you see that when you're in prison, the way out is through praise? Do you remember when Peter was in prison and with Silas? And at midnight, after they'd been beaten, after they most of us would have been terrified, it says they began to praise God. As they began to praise God, guess what? The prison doors open. Some of us are bound by prisons, prison doors, prison doors of really bad things we say about ourselves or others or looking for others to somehow meet our needs or validate us. And I have to say this, that as long as we go down that path, the prison doors are shut tight. But I've learned, like the apostles, like Leah, that when you begin to praise God, you begin to lift up praises, He beautifies you. He begins to unlock those things. And the situation doesn't always change, but your perspective does. Your desires begin to shift. The desire of all nations, the desire of all things is God. And once you have a relationship with Him, something begins to change. And we can either endure or God changes us. He beautifies us with salvation. And it begins to change everything around us. No matter what we're going through, no matter where you're at today, whether it's relational or just the trials that we're facing in this current distress, as we surrender our lives to Him, as we seek Him first and seek His kingdom first, He will take what we give Him and make things Make all things, the Bible says, beautiful in his time. I want to pray for you today, and I want to 
speak to this. I know that it's hard to praise God. And I'm going to pick this up again next week. But I know it's hard to, sometimes to praise the Lord when you're in pain. Or praise the Lord when the circumstances don't look right. But I know this. That that act of faith often is the very thing that unlocks your victory. Unlocks your future. Unlocks God's promises. And beautifies you. You know... A lot of people want to get it the other way around. They want to be happy before they praise God. I've learned this, that if I can praise God, I'll become happy. If I praise God, he'll beautify me. If I praise God like I was created to do, he'll turn my situation around. All things truly will work together for good in my life. If you're listening to this program today and you can hear the voice of God speaking to you. Sometimes you may just need somebody to get alongside you and worship. You know, I often will just call my son Jonathan, and he's overseas, but he has a, uh, he's put some tracks together, and he has his guitar, and we'll just praise and sing and pray together. Something about his spirit that lifts my spirit, and I just love that moment with him. You know, praying with my wife, I think that's important. And so... I think it's important that we all learn to pray and praise together. Because in praise, it begins to break off these bondages. If you're listening and you say, I need somebody to praise with me, or I just need somebody to pray with me, or I just, I, I, I've been, I, I'm in this spiral. I am down. Well, there's hope and there's help. On the, end of, on the other end of that line that's right there on the screen, you can dial that number. And there's someone on the other side of that line Maybe not a trained counselor, maybe not even a pastor, but someone who's been trained to at least get you to somebody that can help you, whether it be a pastor or a counselor or a cell group, someplace where you can go and where people are gathering and we're praising together. We're building each other up and we're setting our affections on the desire of all things, Jesus. If you're finding that the depression is so heavy and your marriage is breaking, don't leave it. You need someone to speak into your marriage. Our marriages can't survive without people helping us. That's why we have men's groups where men are helping other men to face up and own up and take responsibility in how to love their wives. Nobody ever taught us how to love a wife. Most of our parents didn't know how to love their wives. And here we are trying to now do the same. We have women's groups where we're training our women, the roots groups, how to become women of God and how to respect their husbands at the same time, you know, being godly women. Nobody ever trained our women how to be godly women. We came up and grew up in a kind of a feminist uh, world where, you know, men were competing with women. And that's not wrong for men and women to have good competition, but it's wrong when we demean each other, we tear each other down. There's a way that we can grow together. The way God designed it. God put a design on marriage. And so we teach that. Some of you need that in your marriage. Uh, you're really not fighting each other. You're fighting yourself. And so, like Leah, Leah, as long as she was on that downward spiral, as long as she felt sorry for herself, as long as she was jealous, as long as she allowed those resentments to grow, boy, I'll tell you what, she could not be free. But something happened. Judah, she found praise. She worshiped God. Let's become worshipers of God. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm praying for those under the sound of my voice today. I'm asking, Lord, that 
this beginning message, this message about having the power of a praising heart, the power of praise. Father, we have many illustrations in the Bible where people were in dire straits, but they began to praise you and you delivered them. They began to praise you and you changed them. They began to praise you and you began to turn their hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Father, we ask that today for all those under the sound of my voice. Holy Spirit, begin to move on people's hearts. Even though they don't feel like it, help them to lift their hands and their hearts to you and begin to praise you. Let them praise their way out of their troubles. Let them praise you at all times. Father, may your praise be continually in their mouths. Father, may they see the salvation of our God. If you've never received Jesus, this would be a great time to say, God, I need you in my heart and life. God hears your heart. Pray to him. Make a decision. Make a choice that says, I'm going to give you my whole heart. Just bow your head right there. In your own words, say, I'm a sinner. I don't know. I don't deserve heaven. I deserve hell. I'm far from God. But Jesus, if you'll come into my heart, if you'll take control of my life, I'll give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. That's all it takes. It's an earnest, contrite confession and repentance and, a, 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 and showing that you have a desire for God. He takes care of the rest. He loves you. He hears your cry. Call on him. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, the Bible says. Until next week, we will uh, be back here again. And I have another message on the power of a praising heart. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that you were blessed and that God will continue to transform your life in this season. If you have a testimony or need prayer and counseling, please send a WhatsApp or a call me to plus 263-784-303900 or plus 263-717-459999. We want to hear from you and we're here for you and are ready to listen to you, to pray for you and to celebrate with you. So thank you. We love you and stay safe.